Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation because this morning we're beginning a series on worship. And I want you to know that worship is the most important thing that you can ever learn to do. Much of what we do here on earth for our Lord will one day come to an end. But the Bible says that we will worship God forever. Worship is eternal. As a matter of fact, one of the last commands of Scripture, a command that is found in the last book in the Bible, the last chapter in the Bible, is found in Revelation 22, verse 9. And it simply says this, worship God. And so understand, this this thing called worship is vitally important. But to be honest... What I've discovered is there are a lot of opinions about what worship is. And there are a lot of opinions about what worship involves, even among Christians. There are some who believe that worship is to be quiet and solemn. And there are others who say, no, worship is to be loud. It is to be celebrative. Some say that that worship is to be formal. It is to be liturgical. Others say that worship is to be informal, is to be spontaneous. Some say that that all of the gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians should be exercised in worship. There are others that say, no, some of those gifts are no longer needed in the church today. Some want us to focus on the old when we come together. There are others that want us to focus on the new When we come together, some like to dress up to come to worship. Some like to dress down and and dress more casual when they come to worship. Some like to to use a variety of instruments when we worship. Some say that you shouldn't use any instruments at all. Some believe that we should utilize every form of technology that is available. Others say that, that technology is a distraction. So the question is, who is right? Is anyone right? Or is everyone right? What does it take to worship God? What is the right way to worship God? And hopefully that's the question that we're going to answer over the next five weeks. And as we do, we're going to look at worship from a different perspective. We're going to look at worship from heaven's perspective because you need to understand this morning that that worship is taking place in heaven right now. And because our desire should always be to do what is pleasing to God, we should find out exactly what what the people of God and and those created by God are doing right now. And I think the best way to look at that is is to look at heaven. Now let me tell you why I think that. One day Jesus was was teaching his disciples. And it was the most well-known sermon ever preached. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And and in that sermon he, he taught those on that mountainside about how to find true happiness. He He told them how the law and grace 
works together, what the law requires and what grace requires. He, he talked about giving and he talked about praying. And when Jesus taught about praying, he said something that each and every one of us need to keep in our mind. He said, when you pray, pray this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, as God's will is done, as God's will is being done in heaven, our prayer should be that God's will is done the exact same way on earth. And so in other words, our desire on earth should be to duplicate the submission, the obedience, and the worship that is happening in heaven here on earth. Because one day, you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, will be there. And the good news is, we don't have to just wonder what worship in heaven looks like. The Word of God teaches us. And so if we duplicate what is happening in heaven today... To the best of our ability, we can know that we are worshiping in a way that honors and pleases God. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. If, if you weren't with us when we went through our series on Revelation 1 through 3, John, who was, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved, has been exiled on the prison island of Patmos because he is preaching about Jesus. And the Bible says that one day on that island, on a Sunday morning, he was worshiping God when he hears a voice. And he turns around and he discovers that he is in the presence of the glorified Jesus. And Jesus tells John to write down what he sees, what is now taking place, and, and what is to come. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus gives John this message that, that he is to deliver to seven churches that are located in Asia Minor. These are, these are seven real churches. These are seven specific churches. And, and as he delivers these messages to these churches, they are messages that encourage the church and challenge the church. But not only are, are, are these seven churches, seven churches that were found in the first century... They are representative of, of churches that are found in each and every age today. In other words, we can find in, in our nation today churches that are more representative of each of these seven churches as we look around and, and we observe. And some people say that these seven churches are also a picture of the, the various ages of church history that, that lead us up to the time that Jesus returns. But as we move into chapter 4, things change. And, and that's where I want us to, to focus this morning. I want us to look at these first two verses of, of Revelation chapter 4. Listen to what what it says happens next. After this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, 
I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now remember, John was on the island of Patmos. He was worshiping the Lord when he had this vision of the glorified Jesus who gave him this message to deliver to seven churches. And all of a sudden, he looks up. And as he looks up, he sees this door open to heaven. And and the glorified Lord says, come up here to heaven. And I am going to show you what is going to happen in the future. And the Bible says at once, John was in the Spirit, and he was looking around heaven. And the first thing that he saw was that throne in heaven. And now, in these two verses, we see the first two essentials to heavenly worship. We're going to deal with the first one today, and we're going to deal with the second one next week. Now, here's the first thing about heavenly worship. Write this down. This is a non-negotiable. Worship heaven style is spiritual. Worship heaven style is spiritual. Don't miss that phrase in verse 1. At once, I was in the Spirit. That phrase is used four times in, in the book of Revelation. It's used here. And then in Revelation 17, verse 3, it says this. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and and had seven heads and ten horns. So, So John is carried away in the spirit to the desert where he has this vision. And then Revelation 21, verse 10 says this. And he carried me away in the spirit... To a mountain, great and high, and and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, some may think, when we look at chapter 4 and chapter 17 and chapter 21, that, that this phrase, in the spirit, is simply referring to some out of body experience. That, that John is here on the island of Patmos, but, but somehow, someway, God picks him up and, and takes him out of his body, in his spirit, to experience something else. And, and let me just say, that if all we had was Revelation 4, Revelation 17, and Revelation 21, we could safely say that that, that is exactly what John was saying. That is exactly what God's Word is teaching But the Bible makes it clear that being in the Spirit is much more than that. As a matter of fact, the first time that we see this phrase in in the book of Revelation is in Revelation 1. And in Revelation 1, we discover that, that John is worshiping on the Lord's day. He is by himself. There may be some other believers there on that prison island, but... But most likely he is by himself on Sunday worshiping the Lord. And it says in verse 10, on the Lord's day, listen, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. You see, worship involves the mind. Worship involves the body. Worship involves the emotions. Worship involves the will. But worship primarily is a spiritual experience. 
Warren Wearsby said this. He said, worship is the believer's response of all that they are. Mind, body, will, emotions to what God is, says, and does. You see, our mind is involved in worship as we understand the truths of God's Word. Our emotions are involved in worship as we respond with joy, with with sorrow, with awe, and even with fear as we come into the presence and experience the power of God. You see, some say that, that worship will always leave us feeling good, but that's not true. There are various emotions that are expressed as we worship. Our bodies are involved in worship as as our voices sing, as our ears hear, as our eyes see, as our hands clap. The Bible says that as we worship, we lift up holy hands to God. The Bible talks about us kneeling in submission before God. But understand, in spite of the fact that That our our mind and and our body and our emotions are involved in worship. Worship is first and foremost a spiritual experience. The truth is, true worship will never take place unless we are in the Spirit. Let me say this again because this is vital. True worship, genuine worship, authentic worship will never take place Unless we are in the Spirit. In John chapter 4, Jesus is, is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman about, about God. About who God is and, and how we are to worship Him. And, and Jesus says this in John four twenty four. He said, the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that time is here already. You see, the Father is actively seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, don't miss that. God is spirit. And if we're going to worship him, we must worship in spirit. The only way that that you and I can truly worship a spiritual being is to connect with him at a spiritual level. You you see, worship isn't about the building we gather in. It's it's not about the music we listen to. It's, It's not about the clothes we wear. Worship is about your spirit connecting with God's spirit through the Holy Spirit. So the question we must answer is this. What does that mean? I mean, if if real worship is to worship in the Spirit, then it is vital that I know what that involves because I will never truly worship apart from that. And I believe the Bible teaches that there are three essentials to being in the Spirit. The first one is this. If I'm going to be in the Spirit, it means that I am born of the Spirit. In John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is is speaking to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God and and how to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, this religious leader, this. I tell you the truth. 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We have a physical birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But if I'm going to be a part of God's kingdom, there is also a spiritual birth. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Let me give you two other verses. You can write these down there on your note sheet. John 6, verse 63. Jesus says this. He said, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Eternal life comes only through the Spirit of God. And then the Apostle Paul said in Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Now listen. This is vital because eternal life depends on this. Jesus said no one, absolutely no one, will enter the kingdom of God unless they've been born of the Spirit. Later on, Jesus said it is only the Spirit that can give eternal life. And and Paul made it clear that, that our sins are washed away. We experience the new birth through the Holy Spirit. So listen very carefully. This is important. You see, salvation is not first an intellectual experience. Though there are things that we must know, there are things that we must believe. There are things that we must accept. But salvation isn't first and foremost an intellectual experience. Salvation is a spiritual experience. It is God's Spirit coming to live within us. Salvation isn't when I accept facts. Salvation occurs when God's Spirit comes to dwell in me. Now let me give you the process. The Bible says that it begins when the Holy Spirit convicts. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, God's righteousness, and the judgment to come. Salvation begins as the Holy Spirit convicts us and we see our need. Next, we discover that the Father draws us. Jesus said no one comes unless the Father draws them. So the the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need. The Father draws us to himself, letting us know that he loves us with an unconditional love. Then we enter the picture. We must humbly respond by turning from sin, trusting Jesus, and And as best we know how, giving our lives to him. Then the Holy Spirit comes in again to give us a new birth. To make us brand new. We're born again through the Spirit of God. And so let me ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit come to live in you? 
Have you been convicted of your sin? Have you been drawn to God by the the Father's love? Have you responded through humbly turning from sin, trusting in Jesus and and giving your life to him? And can you say that, that something happened? You were born again. Things changed. You became a new person. You see, that's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit produces a change in our lives. And and you need to understand, hear me, that, that if you can't go back to a moment where your life was changed, then, then how can you really think that the Spirit of the living God has come to take up residence in you? You see, you'll never worship until you're born of the Spirit. So to be in the Spirit means I am born of the Spirit. But then second, to be filled with the Spirit means that, or to be in the Spirit means I am filled with the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. The Apostle Paul said, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are several things that, that you need to understand about this filling of the Holy Spirit. First of all, to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that I am emptied of everything else. I, I mean, I can't be filled with one thing if I have other things in me. Would you agree with that? I mean, can you imagine going home and and man, you would love a, a, a nice cold glass with ice filled with, with Pepsi. And you go home and, and there's a cup on the counter. There's a glass on the counter and, and it's sitting there. And, and it has about, about a quarter of a, a glass filled with milk in it. And you go, no biggie. I'll just add some some ice and I'll pour the Pepsi in here and everything will be okay. How many of you want to do that? That's nasty, isn't it? And yet there's some of us that have this idea that that we can be filled with the Spirit when we are not emptied of everything else. You see, if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I must first of all empty myself of everything else in my life. You say, Rocky, what do you mean everything? I mean everything. You've got to, you've got to say, Jesus, I am yours completely, totally. You've got to empty yourself of your desires, your wants, your wishes Because as long as your desires, your wants, or wishes there, you will never be filled with the Spirit. And so being filled with the Spirit involves first and foremost of emptying yourself of everything else. Now that involves confession. That involves coming before the Lord and saying to the Lord, search me. Know my heart. Try me and see if there is any wickedness or unclean thing within me. You're coming before God with a contrite heart saying, God, I want to get rid of everything that is keeping me from being everything that you want me to be. 
So being filled with the Spirit is emptying ourselves of our wants, our desires of sinful things. Second, you need to understand that that being filled with the Spirit is a daily thing. Now, now when you're saved and, and the Spirit of God comes to indwell you, the Bible says you're baptized with the Spirit. But at that baptism, you're filled. I mean, God's Spirit just comes into you and takes over your life. But, but here's what I've discovered. I've discovered as we sit around in life, it, it seems like, and I, and I know this is a terrible picture theologically. I know it's wrong, but track with me. It seems like as we're sitting in life, that, that the Holy Spirit begins to evaporate. And, and before long, we're no longer filled with the Spirit. Now, understand, the Spirit never leaves us. But it seems that way, doesn't it? Because we're no longer emptied of, of all our desires, our wants, our wishes. The, the longer we live in the Christian life, the more and more we discover that the things of this world keep on creeping back in. Have you discovered that? The desires, the, the good desires that aren't the best. The sinful desires that we know are displeasing to God. They creep back in. It's not like we're saved and we're born of the Spirit and, and we never have these thoughts or desires anymore. And, and if we're not continually, daily being filled with the Spirit, emptying ourselves of, of our wants, our desires, our wishes, we will never walk through life filled with the Spirit. So here's what I challenge you to do. Every morning, you get up. And as you pray, and I know every morning you have your prayer time. And so every morning as you pray, as you have your prayer time, one of the very first things you're praying is to ask God to search you. And you're, you're confessing sin. You're asking God to, to show you those things that aren't pleasing to Him. And, and you're spending time listening to him and and as God speaks to you and and as his word speaks to you you get rid of those things you empty yourself of those things because you'll never be filled with the spirit when you're filled with the things of this world that's why Paul said don't be drunk with wine don't be filled with wine that'll only ruin your life but be filled with God's spirit get everything else out of your life and let the Spirit of God take control of your life. And so if I want to be in the Spirit, I've got to be born of the Spirit. I've got to daily be filled with the Spirit. And then third, I need to be controlled by the Spirit. I want you to listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. 
That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And, and just as Christ raised or God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful natures, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now notice what it says in that very first verse. Controlled. But those who are controlled by the Spirit. If you want to be in the Spirit, you have to be controlled by the Spirit. You see... Being in the Spirit means I've been born of the Spirit. God's Spirit has come into my life. I now have His Spirit living within me. Uh, To be in the Spirit means I am filled with the Spirit. I, I have removed, emptied myself of all the other things of this world so that God's Spirit can fill me. And then to be in the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. I love what Paul says here. If we're controlled by the Spirit, we're going to live to please the Spirit. Here's what I've discovered. Each and every one of us are living to please someone or something. Some of us are living to please our peers. Some of us are living to please ourselves. But the Bible says that we are to live to please the Spirit of God. Uh, Understand, you will never be in the Spirit until you are controlled by the Spirit. So look me in the eye. What that means is this. Regardless of how long you've been a church member... Regardless of whether you've been baptized, regardless of whether you know that you were born in the Spirit, if at this moment in your life you were not living controlled by the Spirit, there is no way that you can be involved in worship this morning. You're not in the Spirit. You've got to empty yourself of sin. That's why it's so important to prepare for worship. You've got to come in here controlled by the Spirit, saying, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. What that means, listen, what that means is this. For some of you who who have these, these, these strongholds in your life of sin, and you just can't turn loose of them, it could be gossip, It could be sexual sin. It could be financial sin. But you come in here week after week after week. And you sit and you listen. And then you leave without refusing to deal with those issues. Understand you have wasted your time. 
you haven't worshipped. You've taken up a seat. You may feel better about yourself, but you haven't worshipped. Because worship means that I am born of his spirit. His spirit lives in me. I have been changed. I've been made new. I've been born of the spirit. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm dealing with sin and the things of this world. And I desire to live a life that that is fully devoted to him. And, And then I am controlled by the spirit. I want to do whatever God's spirit tells me to do. In Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, I'm not going to read the entire passage, but it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And there won't be, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to to carry out your good intentions. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our life. So let me ask you. Is the Holy Spirit controlling your life? Are, Are you desiring to live in obedience to Him? To walk with Him? To do what He says to do? Are you filled with the Spirit? Have you emptied yourself of anything and everything that is keeping the Holy Spirit from having every part and parcel of your life? And then have you been born of the Spirit? Because if you have it, you're not going to worship. You see, true worship begins with the Spirit because true worship is a spiritual experience. And in the end, it doesn't matter what I wear, it doesn't matter where I meet, it doesn't matter the music that is involved, it it doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is, is my spirit connecting with God's spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit? Because you see, ultimately, worship isn't a ritual that we go through. Worship is a relationship that we flesh out each and every day. And it flows from being a part of God's family, from being one with Him. And so let me ask you a question. Are you a worshiper? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether we sing the old or the new. It doesn't matter whether we have on jeans or a coat and tie. It doesn't matter whether we have smoke and lights or no lights. It doesn't matter whether we have instruments or we don't have any instruments. None of those things matter. What matters first and foremost is this. Have I been born of the Spirit? Am I filled with His Spirit? And am I controlled by His Spirit? Because those are essential to true worship because heaven is a spiritual place and those that worship him must worship him in a spiritual way and so would you bow your head with me right now and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed I want to ask you three simple questions and I want you to respond to each of them first of all Do you know that you have been born of the Spirit of God? 
Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin? Have you been drawn to God through the Father's love? Have you responded through humbly turning from sin, trusting in Jesus, and and as best you knew how, just surrendering your life to Him? And when you've done that, can you honestly say, the Holy Spirit changed my life. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. It's a little bit supernatural. But I'm different. My desires, my wants, my wishes are different. Have you been born of the Spirit? If you're here this morning and you haven't been, then right here, right now, in this moment, if you're convicted and you know that the Father loves you, it's in your corner. It's up to you. If you want to be born in the Spirit, here's what you need to do. You need to pray this prayer humbly before God. Dear God, I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I'm so sorry for my rebellion. I'm tired of living life my way. I know you love me. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the grave to set me free. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Give me not only the desire, but the power to live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer just then, that first prayer, would, would you just raise your hand quickly right now? Thank you. Anyone else? Here's the second prayer. There's some of you here who are saved, but you're not filled with the Spirit. You've let the things of this world, some good things, some bad things, come into your life, and, and now they're, they're very important to you. And so you're not fully surrendered to the Spirit, which is what being filled with the Spirit entails. And if you're here and you know there are things that are keeping you from being totally surrendered to Him, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now with a humble heart. Dear God, I thank you for saving me. I know I've been saved. But I've let the things of this world Take my eyes off of you. The cares of this world, the pleasures of this world, the riches of this world. And because of that, 
I, I know I'm not filled. So right here, right now, I'm relinquishing all of these things. Everything I am, everything I own, every title I have, it's yours. I don't want anything to keep me from being filled with your spirit. Fill me today. And use me. Amen.